Uh, Corinth was uh, notorious for being a very liberal town. Um, it was a port city, lots of people coming and going, a lot of sexual activity and promiscuity in the city of Corinth. Um, there were a lot of alternative lifestyles. The culture was uh, one where uh, if you could think of a sexual perversion, it had probably happened in Corinth. They actually had a temple that included a thousand prostitutes that was part of the cultic worship practice. There was an attitude of sexual perversion and promiscuity and tolerance and pride and the celebration of alternative lifestyles uh, that was huge in the city of Corinth. Um, they had homosexuality, sex before marriage, uh, just they were uh, a, a debased culture. Um, so we're dealing with a culture that you and I might look at right now and go, well, that's kind of disgusting. But it may not be as bad as the one you and I live in. Let's, uh, let's look at some national statistics. Americans spend more money every year on porn than country music, rock music, jazz, and classical combined. The pornography industry is now a $10 billion industry. They made more last year than NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball combined. There are 11,000 adult movies made every year. It's more than 20 times the number of normal movies that come out of Hollywood. The porn industry says that 30%, almost a third of all video rentals on the East and West Coast are adult in nature. Most of the traffic on the internet happens between 9 and 5 p.m., 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., uh, which is when people are supposed to be at work. It starts very young. 61% of all high school seniors have had sexual intercourse. About half are sexually active currently. 21% of high school seniors have had four or more sexual partners. Approximately a quarter of sexually active adolescents become infected with an STD every year. There are 3 million cases yearly. So our culture is a lot like the Greek culture in Corinth that Paul is writing to. So that's a pleasant way to start the evening, right? So this sexual promiscuity and this perversion of sex has made its way into the church at Corinth. And that's what Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've been reading ahead, you know Tonight is the night. Some of you are here just because. It's the incest chapter. Are we really going to say it out loud? Yeah. It's part of the problem of teaching through books of the Bible. You can't dodge it. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, and as you're turning there, uh, let me give you two things that are going to help you tonight. Right? Um, 
the first question is this. Well, what constitutes sexual sin? Well, any of the stuff I just listed before, that's it. Right? That's, it, it's, uh, here is uh, what's acceptable. One man, one woman. Crazy idea, right? They get married, and then they are together intimately until the grave. That's it. Anything outside of that is sexual perversion. Um, sex before marriage, uh, sex outside of marriage, uh, bringing partners into your marriage, all of that sexual perversion. Things our culture celebrates. The second question is this. If all these things are unacceptable, how should we respond, especially if this comes into the church? Well, that's where Paul starts. Look at verse 1. Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. The, the word for sexual immorality there is the word pornea. It's kind of a junk drawer where uh, basically Paul is saying this covers all sexual sin. Anything that falls outside of sex between one man, one woman, married, covenant relationship, pornea is the box all of that fits in. Right? So Paul is saying um, there is a sexual immorality among you, the kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. So his first point is this, that church tolerance of alternative sexual lifestyles cannot be permitted. I, I don't want you to miss this here. Paul is not really, uh, he's not going after uh, he's about to describe the situation here. He doesn't go after the couple. He goes after the church that is allowing this to happen. That's what Paul's the most upset about. That, that in the context of a gathering of believers who have been called out by Jesus, who have been set apart in this pagan culture, they are practicing something that even the pagans don't miss that. It's not even tolerated among the pagans. So in Paul's mind, Paul is saying, look, I don't even have to tell you how bad this is because the pagans know it. So Paul is laying the groundwork saying here that, that kind of tolerance inside the church is unacceptable. So we're in this um, series called Love Is, right? And uh, Pastor Carlos uh, today, his definition for that was this. is very good. Love is not arrogant in allowance of sin, but humble in pursuit of holiness. That's a good sentence. Love is not arrogant in allowance of sin, but humble in pursuit of holiness. Let me shorten that for you. Sometimes love is tough. And, and Paul pulls no punches in this chapter tonight, and you're, some, of, you're, some of you are going to be really uncomfortable. And um, I'm not going to apologize for the Bible. It's not my intent to intentionally make you feel uncomfortable, but we, uh, we hold the Bible in very high regard here. And whatever the Bible says, that's where we're going to stand. And so as we work through this text, just 
Be patient and let the Bible do the speaking. All right? So, point number one. The church should not tolerate that kind of perverse sexuality. People, people might say, well, they didn't say I couldn't do this. Um, well, it says don't do anything but get married, love your spouse. That's what it means. Um, then he says, we, what does he say their response is? You are what? This is the audience participation moment. Arrogant. That's what Paul's upset about. Like, it's bad that this guy is doing this, this couple is doing this, but Paul says, you, you, church, you're arrogant about this. Now, if you believe this line, which is like, well, they're two consenting adults, they can do, they have the freedom to do whatever they want to, that, that's the Corinthian response. Look, look, at, look at what he says. So here's the charge. A man is with his father's wife. Now, some of you right now, you're going, wait, is that his mom? Listen, I do not know. I do not want to know. Right? (laughs) To be honest with you, we don't know if this is his stepmom and his dad had died. Uh, It may be some kind of thing like Reuben did when he ran off with Abraham's uh, concubine in Genesis. I don't know what's going on here. All, all we know is it's nasty. Like the pagans don't even approve. Right? There is a line that if you call someone mom and you take her to the prom, that you have crossed the line. Right? At least you're still laughing. Right? Paul, Paul says, listen, you're arrogant. You're proud. You've got buttons and bumper stickers and you're celebrating your diversity and Paul says look at what he says shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief you should have just been heartbroken over this and you're not should have been heartbreaking we, we assume, Paul says, we should assume that non-Christians, those outside of the covenant family of God, should behave this way, but not in the church. You shouldn't flaunt it publicly. Imagine, the church lets them get up and tell their story. They're consenting adults. Their relationship's okay in the eyes of God because God is love. God doesn't judge. God just wants us to be happy. And Paul says, you should have been filled with grief about this. He goes even further. You should have put this man out of the fellowship. You should have kicked the guy out. You should have said, this is unacceptable. See, freedom is good, but it is not a license to do whatever you want. Here's the truth. You're either going to be a slave to your lust, or you're going to be a slave to Jesus. 
Those are the only two options. This is what Paul's getting at here. There's no freedom apart from Christ. Tolerance is not always good. When you tolerate what God detests, you're in sin. And you might be saying, yeah, but if you loved me, you would accept me. No, Paul is saying, no, if you love a person, you're going to love them enough to tell them what's best for them. And what's best for them is God's design for human sexuality. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about His holiness. It's about us being His bride, pure and blameless before Him. Doesn't, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're not going to slip into sin occasionally. It does mean this. We're not, we're not going to develop patterns of, of acceptance of unbelievable sexual immorality. Paul's second point is basically that if a Christian, someone who says they are a Christian, lives a habitual life of unrepentant sin, they must be disciplined by the church. There there are two big issues going on in Corinth. You can break what's going on in the church at Corinth into two big things. It's either conflict or it's compromise. We've already seen in the first three to four chapters, Paul dealing with conflict. And he says the solution for conflict is unity. Well, the solution for compromise, which is what we're looking at right here, is holiness. Paul's hope is not to punish this person. All right? Don't don't think of this as punishment. It's restorative. Paul's hope is for them to repent, just like a good parent saying to a child, don't run into traffic. Paul is saying, you you have to discipline this couple. Paul says in verse 3, even though I'm not physically present, He isn't even there. He's off helping start another church. He says, I'm with you in the Spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. Now, there's this this nonsensical thing when something like this happens. Somebody will go, well, you never sat down with me. You didn't hear my side of the story. This is what Paul is saying here, basically. I don't have to hear your side of the story. Are you having sex outside of marriage? You're in sin. You're sleeping with your stepmom or your mom, you're in sin. I don't need for us to sit down in community and discuss this. Paul's saying, I'm not even there. In fact, I know the only part of the story that matters, that you are practicing sin the pagans don't even agree with. And Paul is saying, we, we can't be in community until you knock it off. Paul goes on to say, he says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the church comes together and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that his sinful nature may be 
destroyed. His flesh may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. He says he's a Christian. He refuses to live like a Christian. Flaunts with pride the alternative lifestyle that's incongruent with the teaching of Scripture. It's not pleasing and holy and righteous before God. And Paul is saying, hand him over to Satan. Now, in our current cultural climate, that just sounds cruel. Right? We, we have two options, church, either repentance or discipline. If you repent, there's love, there's support, there's restoration. But if you continue in an unrepentant, sinful lifestyle, the church is to discipline you. Paul says, hand him over to Satan. You know, two times in the book of Job, God himself says to Satan, uh, if you remember, you go to Job 1 and Job 2, Satan comes to God and says, hey, what about Job? And God says, I put him in your hand. God uses Satan as an instrument to refine Job. He, here's what's going on when Paul says this, right? Paul is saying there is this protection inside the authority of the church. Eugene Peterson put it like this. Eugene Peterson said, The Holy Spirit established the church to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. Isn't that great? The church is to be a colony of heaven in the culture of death. And what Paul is saying, as long as you have this guy in uh, the fellowship of the church, he's under the umbrella, under the protection and the authority of the church, Paul says, you need to take him out of that and put him in the realm where Satan can have at him. In the hopes that he will repent. And just, just... so you, or you don't think, well, that's just Paul being mean. It's just Paul. You know how Paul is. He's really radical. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 18. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, Matthew 18, uh, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, ask it, it will be done. So, in, inside the context of church discipline, Jesus is saying, look, here's how it's supposed to happen. What Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, this is a last resort, right? This is Paul saying, look, and we have every reason to believe, because Paul loved Jesus, and he loved the teaching of Jesus and the scriptures, that what has happened in Corinth is they've done Matthew 18. Somebody has gone to this guy and go, look, bro, you cannot do this. 
and he's ignored them. And he took two other people with him and said, bro, we love you. you this, is, this is bad. You need to repent. You need to, you need to stop living like this. You need to pursue holiness. And he ignores them. Paul, what, what we need to assume about 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul's saying, put the man out from you, is this. This is the last effort. You don't start with kick them out. So, so let, let's just be real in the room right now for a minute. So if you're in here and you're like, you got a porn addiction. And you're thinking, man, they're about to kick me out of here. No, listen to me. I hope somebody in this room loves you enough to come to you and say, man, you just need to, you need to repent. Church discipline most often happens in one-on-one relationships, not dragging people up in front of the room. That we, we, we serve a God of grace. Remember, we're the, we're, the, we're the colony of heaven in a culture of death. We need to spur one another on. We need to hold one another accountable. There is a corporate holiness that we are responsible for. Paul said at the end of chapter 4 that we looked at last week, he said, do you want me to come uh, with a whip or with a hand of tender love? Here's the hope. The hope is being that eventually this person's going to repent and come back to the church. We're not talking about somebody that uh, sinned one day and they were heartbroken and came back and repent and confessed it. We're not talking about that person. We're talking about a person who is habitually living in unrepentant sin. Just like the prodigal coming home, we, we want to celebrate repentance. Paul's third point is this. He, he, he says churches become increasingly evil as they embrace sin. It won't just impact an individual. It's, it's like cancer that eats away at a congregation. He said you're boasting in verse 6. It's not good. Don't you know that a little yeast, a little sin, works its way through the whole batch of dough. It works its way through the whole church. It's symbolizing and foreshadowing uh, the coming of Christ. Think, think about this. When he says the yeast will work its way through the dough, what he's saying there is it's, it's, that's what sin does. It just takes a little bit of yeast to, to make dough like explode. God became a man, the Bible says. Jesus came. Paul, Paul says it, our, our Passover lamb has come. Jesus came and he was tempted in every way we are. Think, let, that, let your head try to wrap around that for a minute. Hebrews chapter 4, the end of chapter 4. The writer of Hebrews says he was a man like us. He was tempted in every way we were. 
He was a man in his early 30s. He was unmarried, single dude. He was tempted like we are. We, you got to take that at face value. Yet he never sinned. So you see in Jesus, there's a difference between temptation and sin. Being tempted is an opportunity to do one of two things. Either sin or to walk with God in holiness and humility. Jesus was tempted. He never did sin. He said no to all his temptations. He lived a sinless life in the place of you and I. He went to the cross, and it says here he was sacrificed, that his blood was shed, that the wage of sin is death, the punishment for sinners is death. Jesus died. He substituted himself on a cross, died for our sins. Three days later, he rose, conquering Satan, death, sin, the grave. And what Paul is saying here, because Jesus put your sin to death, you must put your sin to death. Here's what Paul is saying. There's an indicative statement. You are redeemed. And there's an imperative that comes out of that. Now live like it. The problem is that sin in the church, if it's left unchecked, it will damage the entire church. Here's a... I, I want to read this whole quote. Carlos read it this morning from Charles Hodge. Get rid of the old yeast, he says. Get rid of that sin so that you may be a new batch. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us keep the festival. Here's what would happen. In the days of the Passover, among God's Old Testament people, they'd cleanse their house. They'd get rid of all the filth so they could be clean and holy and pure. When the Passover lamb was slain, the Hebrews were required to purge all the leaven from their house. The death of Christ imposes a similar obligation on us to purge out the leaven of sin. Christ is our Passover. Not because he was slain on the day on which the Passover lamb was offered, but because he does for us what the Passover lamb did for the Jews. As the blood of the lamb was sprinkled on the doorpost and it secured exemption from the stroke of the destroying angel, so the blood of Christ secures exemption from the stroke of divine justice. Christ was slain for us in the same sense that the Passover lamb was slain for the Hebrews. It was a vicarious death. As Christ died to redeem us from all iniquity, not only contrary to the design of his death, but as a proof that we are not interested in the benefits if we live in sin. Get the sin out. It's what Paul is saying to the church. You cannot tolerate it. Now it's, it's possible that you, you might be able to find a church where, it's, where they tolerate it. Or you might be thinking, well, listen... I, I, God is love, right? Well, here's what I know God loves. God loves His holiness. He loves His church. He loves His reputation. He loves His name. He loves His Son. 
that he crushed on our behalf. And he loves his bride, pure, spotless, and holy. But the arrogant, proud, boastful, rebellious, God is angry about that. And God will punish it, ultimately. We need to move on. Uh, Paul says, I have written you, we're in verse 10, in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning people in the world who are immoral. This is what Paul's saying. Because you basically have to leave the world. Right? We live in a pagan culture. They don't love God. Newsflash. People that don't know Jesus don't love God. Shocking, I know. Neither did you before you were saved. You came out of the womb shaking your fist at God. Paul's saying, look, they're sexually perverted. They're greedy, swindlers, idolaters, non-Christian sin because that's what they do. Don't be disappointed and angry at them. We're really good at judging people outside the church while we tolerate a lot of junk in the house. Those are the people Jesus spent most of his time with while the religious hypocrites killed him. Paul, listen to what Paul says. But now I'm writing you not to associate, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Don't even eat with such a one. Man, that's hard. That is hard. But here's what's at stake. Possibly the eternal destination of this guy caught in this sin. And, and Paul is saying, look, you, you can't pat him on the back on the way to hell. He's got to be called to account. One of my jobs as a pastor is to, is to teach the Bible. Another is to serve people that claim to be Christians and, and try to answer questions of those that are curious about it. It's not our job to judge those outside. We don't know their heart. We don't know their life. Jesus says, all judgment has been entrusted to me. If, you, if you're a non-Christian and you're in the room tonight, you're going to live your life, and someday you're going to stand before Jesus at the end of time, and he will judge you. We're not, we're not judging you. What, what we want to say to you is Jesus is amazing. And he will give you the kind of life you cannot imagine. But Paul does say, and this is what's hard, we, can't, we cannot take this. Paul says, we have the right to judge in the church. I know, right? Here, here it is. Here's where every pseudo uh, 
20-year-old who's, who's read six verses in the Bible goes. Jesus said, Don't judge, thou shalt not judge. They have that verse and the, and the, uh, and the uh, every seed-bearing fruit is, uh, seed-bearing plant is good. So here's their systematic theology. It's okay for them to smoke weed because Jesus doesn't judge. Right? That's their systematic theology. Sorry. Here's, what, here's the context of what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7. Don't judge from a morally superior standpoint. Right? You can't go to your brother with a log sticking out of your eye while he's got a speck. Deal with your own junk first, Jesus says, then go to him. That's what Jesus means when he says don't judge. He says don't judge from a position of moral authority. So here's the question. So what? Right? This is really hard. Listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not angry <laughs> with you. I'm angry because I had to teach it. Right? This is hard. All day I try to figure out a way to get out of this. But we, we can't dodge it because we care about the reputation of Jesus. And we love each other enough that we need to be able to go to one another and say, bro, I'm worried about you, sister. I'm worried about this sin in your life. In Galatians chapter 6, I want to close with this. Paul writes to the Galatians and he says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We, we need to love one another enough to go to one another when we're in sin, in humility and brokenhearted. That's what Paul's problem was with the church at Corinth. You're, you're celebrating this. You should be weeping over this. So here's the, here's the takeaway. Maybe tonight you know you're caught in some, you're just trapped and you want to get set free. We want to help you. There are people in this room that love you and care about you and we want to walk you through restoration and repentance and say no to sin and yes to Jesus. That may be what you need to do tonight. It may be this. You may have a friend that you know they are headed down a path of destruction and the most loving thing you can do for them is to say something to them about it. Not, not condemning them, not judging them, but because you care. We, we have to pursue holiness corporately. That's all Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. He's upset with them, not because they live in a culture that's full of sin, but because they're tolerating it. And we just can't live like that. Let me pray for us.
Holy Spirit, we, I, we, just, we need your help. These are really hard words. My, my hope would be that the grace of Jesus, uh, Lord, Jesus absorbed all your wrath so we don't have to. And God, your way, your design for human sexuality and the way we're supposed to live with one another is what's best for us. Because you, you love your people. And so God, I pray you would extend that love tonight in a supernatural way. And if there are people that are caught in bondage and need to repent, I pray you would, Holy Spirit, set them free. Father, help us be a church that lives in holiness and loves a lost and dying world enough to be different. Holy Spirit, do what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.